Body, Mind, Spirit Radio, offering quality live programming with holistic, spiritual, psychic, and metaphysical hosts. So, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to We Get Results. It's Tuesday, January 22nd, 2019, and I am your host, Mary Singer Albertson. If you haven't joined me before, We Get Results is aired on the fourth Tuesday of the month at 1 p.m. Eastern and archived for later listening. The purpose of We Get Results is to connect listeners to ways they can make a difference on issues that they're passionate about. Everyone can get results if they know what to do and want to help make changes for the betterment of those who have no voice. So one of the best ways that I've found for one person to make a difference is taking action through the results organization. Uh, We are a volunteer citizens lobby meeting with Congress to create the political will to end hunger and poverty. So if you would like to, please check out www.results.org. Click on the successes page to see what has been accomplished by the hundreds of volunteers that we have in results. So going on to today, today's program is going to focus on affordable housing in America. Uh, It's such an important topic right now, especially since the government shutdown. Lots of things are starting to happen that aren't good. So I have two guests joining me today, and I'll give you some background information on them. And uh, my first guest is someone I've known for quite a long time, Meredith Dotson. And uh, she serves as a director of Results U.S. Poverty Campaign Work, overseeing results legislative and coalition work on budget and tax policy, anti-hunger programs, and other U.S. anti-poverty initiatives. She also works directly with Results Grassroots Network, training and supporting results volunteers all over the country, building relationships with members of Congress and their staff, generating local media, and networking with the local community groups and other allies to build the organization. She's been on staff with Results since 1998 and lives in Washington, D.C. with her husband, her son, and her daughter. So, Meredith, are you there? I am, Mary. Thanks so much for having me today. Well, thanks for joining me today, and thanks for all you do to assist results volunteers to end hunger and poverty. Meredith knows everything. She's such a great asset and a resource to all of us, and I'm really thrilled to have you um, enlightening us and telling us things that we might be able to do to help some of the situations that are going on now. So I'll get right back to you, Meredith, after I introduce our second guest. And um, our second guest is Manilin Hool, and uh, Manilin is 24, is an enrolled member of the Fond du Lac Band of Lake Superior Chippewa, and works as a political operative based out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Manilin got his first start in politics in 2012, working on marriage equality. Since then, he's worked on three U.S. Senate campaigns, two gubernatorials, a presidential, and countless down-ballot races. In his time outside of elections, he spends much of his time working on advancing policy to combat poverty and disparities within marginalized communities. In 2015, Manelan was a Results Real Change Fellow and is currently an expert on poverty with the organization. Manelan also likes to spend his weekends cooking new recipes and baking bread. That sounds interesting. Manelan, are you there? Can you hear me? Yeah, thanks for having me on, Mary. 
Well, thanks for being here. Sounds like you've been doing an awful lot of good work. And um, so we'll, we'll um, start out maybe a little bit with talking to you about results and um, you can tell us a little bit more about how you got involved and what type of thing that you're doing with results right now. Yeah, well, I actually first heard about results from one of my volunteers when I was working for um, Senator Franken's uh, campaign. One of my volunteers uh, who I had known for years had actually been involved in results for a long time, Nancy, and told me that I should get involved and that I should apply for this fellowship and that it was a, a way to get more active with our elected officials and to talk about the importance of the programs that they advocate for, such as SNAP, Earned Income Tax Credit, Child Tax Credit. Um, and I, I applied and I got I got in and I got to be a part of this for a year where I got to meet folks like you and Meredith and Carly Pildes and other staff at Results. Um, and now I am an expert on poverty, which is a cohort of individuals with lived experience um, that use our expertise to help shape and push um, for policies that will empower and strengthen um, communities that are often left behind uh, in our system. That's great. That sounds great. So um, you've been meeting with uh, Congress in at home and in D.C., or? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the great thing about being uh, a results activist and a results advocate is we are everywhere. We go mm -hmm. to D.C., and whenever we're there, we, we schedule meetings with our with our elected officials and meet with our delegations. Um, it's my favorite thing to do, but also have very deep and meaningful relationships here in the district and across the state because we're who they represent. You know, uh, they're working for right. us, and I think that that's the great thing that we do here at Results. Yeah. Well, I know one time one of the uh, elected officials said to one of us, um, you elect us and then you abandon us. You don't tell us what you want. Well, some, most of them want to know what we want. Some of them might not. But, um, you know, we need to tell them what our focus is on and what we care about the most and make sure that they're working on that. And that's what you're doing. That's what I'm doing. That's what all of Results is doing. We're also global and domestic in my group, so we work on, uh, on uh, world hunger and poverty also. But, um, yeah, I would say that's my favorite thing to do, too, is meet with them. And um, the other thing that's my favorite thing to do, I think, is that I've gotten really close to a few of the aides in, uh, in uh, different offices. One is um, Senator Gary Peters for Michigan, and the other one is Congresswoman Brenda Lawrence uh, for Michigan, who has, is now going to be on the Appropriations Committee, so we're really thrilled about that. And, um, and Senator Gary Peters is also taking over um, taking over a committee too. Um, I think it might be immigration, trying to think. But anyway, so I've gotten close enough to their aides that they let me know when something's happening. I can text them. And it just makes for a really cool relationship. And, uh, you know, once they know who we are and that we are there, and another thing people have said is, you know, we love to see you on the Hill because you're lobbying for somebody other than yourself. You're not making money off of this. In fact, we're spending our money to go to D.C. to uh, – to lobby and it's a joy to me to do it. So anyway, anything else about that, about what you're doing right now or results for you? Um, you know, I, I have Meredith. Yeah, the exciting thing for me with uh, results that, that I'm doing is just really kind of 
we've, we're talking a lot about, um, we're starting to look at affordable housing and how do we start to talk about um, the racial uh, wealth divide here that we have in America mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. how housing is integral to that. And I think uh, Meredith can definitely do a deeper dive into affordable housing and these other types of policies that we're starting to look forward at to tackle the broader systemic issues um, that, are, that we face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything else on that, Meredith, that you want to chime in on? Well, I just think it's a, it's a, a perfect time to, be, to come back to new members of Congress about these really important issues, for example, affordable right. housing, but also, you know, the, um, the shutdown. So I'm glad we're going to get a chance to talk about, about that. Um, but I think, you know, one thing I would say is, you know, these issues that are really important, you know, I, I really want to uh, celebrate the work that Mary, you do, that Manny does, and folks across the country do, because, as you say, it's, it's you know, a lot of times uh, folks focus on the election. There was a lot of energy in the election mm-hmm. this year, and then we don't hold policymakers accountable. And, uh, you know, we have a clear, we can point to clear successes when we do engage in the process. For example, um, right before uh, the winter break, um, the House and Senate overwhelmingly passed a uh, bipartisan bill, a farm bill, that um, protects and strengthens nutrition assistance um, for millions of people across the country through SNAP, what used to be known as food. That happened because folks like you engaged and made your voices Mm -hmm. heard um, and with policymakers on the House and Senate side, with uh, Republicans and Democrats, and the research clearly shows that that kind of engagement that y'all are mentioning that you love doing with getting members of Congress face-to-face really does make a difference. Um, And I, Mm -hmm. I urge folks to check out, if they haven't seen already, you know, the the research, for instance, from the Congressional Management Foundation, um, which mm-hmm. has interviewed hundreds of congressional staff saying what makes the biggest difference when um, your member of Congress is trying to make a decision on an issue. And by far, it is in-person visits from constituents. Over 90% said that um, of the aides who were interviewed said that that had influence, and over half said it had a lot of influence. And that had way mm-hmm. more influence than a lobbyist visit, um, less than 10% of the staff who, um, who were interviewed for, this, for these studies that they've done now with several rounds of them said that a lobbyist makes a difference. So I think one of the big takeaways as we look at this new Congress is how important it is for folks to, in the local communities to be engaged and raise their voices and make, and make their priorities clear with who represents them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, Manilin, is there anything else on why we should engage right now with the new Congress, do you think? I think uh, Meredith hit it uh, right on the, the nail on the head there. Uh, if this is, we elected a new Congress to work um, for us, and now it's time for us to let them know what we need. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we've... Uh, we need to get ourselves out there and try to get to see them as soon as possible, especially if we're, you know, working with results and they don't know anything about it. Um, there's a lot of them that know very much about results, but there are so many new people. I have a new uh, rep for my district, and I already saw her before the election and talked to her about results then, and we're trying to set up a meeting right now. And I think the sooner the better that we can get uh, get meetings with them and uh, 
check in with their aides and let them know how important this is and that we've been here for a long time. And, uh, yeah, so I agree with you on that. I think we need to um, engage as soon as possible. And um, I know many people right now are concerned about the government shutdown. Um, Manny, what do you see already or that might be uh, an imminent impact on Native communities? Yeah, absolutely. Well, so I think it's an important thing to understand when we want to talk about this government shutdown is the history of shutdowns in the past and also the the history of what's called the trust and treaty uh, obligation um, to to um, Indian country and of the 573 tribes that are federally recognized, the U.S. government is in treaty with all of these folks. Now, what that means is there's 109 tribes in the United States that have direct services with the U.S. government, which means that the federal government provides services, whether that's um, plowing roads, ambulatory services, policing, um, things from providing medical care, that Mm -hmm. the federal employees, you know, there's over uh, 9,000 federally employed workers right now that work in the uh, Indian health services, which provide key essential medical services in underserved populations that are working without pay. That's mm-hmm. 9,000 workers without pay serving under, you, underserved communities. And amongst those 9,000, now tribes are having to try and figure out how they're going to budget to make sure that our members um, continue to get services. And so tribes are furloughing their own employees and saying mm-hmm. we have to make things stretch. And that's the first impact that a lot of tribes are starting to feel. I just had last night we met with my tribal council, Fond du Lac, where we talked about we have enough money to, to kind of get through what we think the shutdown is going to do, but we're going to be pulling money from our investments. Um, instead of mm-hmm. making interest on investments where our tribes are able to run businesses, we're taking that money out now, and um, we're going to have to wait until the federal government comes back in and fulfills its obligations and responsibilities that are guaranteed to us through our treaties. And that's the, mm-hmm. the big issue that we're facing now with the government shutdown, along with um, nutrition and how are we going to ensure that the tribes who um, get services from the federal government can make sure that we have food um, for our mm-hmm. children, for our mothers. That's not happening anymore. Um, in previous shutdowns under the Obama administration, uh, when they were preparing for the shutdown, they held conferences with tribes saying, you know, this could be coming in, please get in all of your orders for medicine and food in now so that you can make it through without any interruption in services. We were given less than 24 hours this last time. And so yeah. uh, we're very much feeling those impacts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's very scary. I know, um, you know, as far as medicines and all that, uh, I don't know how people are, are trying to figure that out. I know I heard on, on the news yesterday that they were telling people to try to stretch their money for SNAP through the month of February or as long as they could because they didn't know when there was going to be more. Have you heard that, Meredith? Or Yeah, so um, uh, obviously there is, I mean, the deep impacts on, on Native communities, and I'm so glad um, Manny has been doing a great job of, of sharing his expertise in that area. Um, I urge folks, if you want to know more, you can even check him out on, on Twitter, um, 
got some really helpful information about that. Um, and part of what's happening, of course, is that there are many communities, um, many people of color who already, because of the legacy of structural racism, because of decades of policies that have discriminated, um, whether it's land grabbing for native communities or you know discriminatory housing policies, um, subsidies for some but not others to pursue education with the GI Bill, et cetera. Many, many folks of privilege, like myself, my family, has directly benefited from those policies and mm -hmm. others have not. And so you see as a result there are some families that are just in a much better position to weather you know, the kind of shocks that whether it's just losing, losing um, pay or losing really important assistance, there are some families that are in a better position to, to deal with that than others, and that's the direct result of policy making and policy decisions over generations. So, um, and I, you know, here in the Washington, D.C. area, of course, the shutdown is impacting a huge number of workers. Um, and then, of course, now there's tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of workers who are working without pay, um, who have been told mm -hmm. to go back to work, including a whole bunch of workers with the IRS this week, um, this past week. So, um, and specifically then other, you know, you were seeing the other impacts. So SNAP, as you mentioned, the food, uh, food assistance that comes to families once a month, um, the good news is that families are getting um, food assistance via SNAP through February. And, how, and this mm -hmm. is because States worked very hard to get families their February SNAP benefits um, uh, kind of loaded um, right around now. So families are seeing uh, kind of, and it, and it might appear like it's a bonus of additional funds to use mm -hmm. um, to put food on the table, not realizing that this is actually, states had to, um, basically states had to um, uh, disperse it early in order to, to kind of comply with some of the rules governing the shutdown, which means then mm -hmm. families, you, I think we're going to face a situation in February where families didn't realize weren't and weren't in a position where they had to budget through, you know, that this, this, the SNAP benefits they're getting in uh, mid January are supposed to last them through the entire month of February. And it's not even clear, mm -hmm. you know, right now, if the shutdown continues past that, it's not even clear what will happen to food assistance at that point if families um, will be able, you know, will get, for instance, their March um, um, food assistance benefits. So it's really important mm -hmm. to get the word out, appreciate this chance to, to do that for family, for people who are directly participating in SNAP when they see that, mm -hmm. that bump in their um, appear on their EBT, on their electronic benefits transfer card, that that's something that, you got to allocate out throughout the whole month of February. Um, it's not a bonus that's um, just loaded up kind of as a nice thing on um, for food assistance. And then, um, so outside of um, SNAP, there's huge impacts already and many, many more impacts that we could see if the shutdown continues. So for instance, there's over a thousand contracts for what's called project-based rental assistance. So this is, um, 40,000 units of affordable housing um, that are covered via contracts with private landlords. So these owners are being asked to use, to use their building re repair reserves or other resources to cover the 
um, expiration of these contracts that are supposed to, that are really important in um, helping um, make sure that uh, lots of folks who had disabilities, um, the elderly, et cetera, have safe and affordable housing um, through the project-based rental assistance. And another 550 contracts will expire in February if the shutdown is not ended. So this is literally something that can impact tens of thousands of families. You know, one estimate mm -hmm. is that it puts the homes of nearly 70,000 low-income renters at risk of rent hikes or evictions. And we're seeing some of that come out already um, with some landlords, not many yet, but some landlords already telling families, very low-income folks, that they are going to have to make up the difference or else um, be evicted. So it's already for, I mean, for many folks across the country, the shutdown is is already having an impact. But then, you know, once you go further, if this shutdown continues, once we go further, you know, we are going to, you know, there's basically not not the kind of reserves that um, we're going to we're going to see a lot more folks losing access to housing assistance. So, for instance, HUD will run out of money for public housing operating fund and uh, what's called Section 8 tenant-based rental assistance, or what are the housing choice vouchers mm -hmm. after February. So that's you know, if this shutdown continues, we could see even you know uh, millions. Of the, the, the population served by these programs is 3.2 million low-income families um, have their housing at risk. So, you know, the, the, the stakes are incredibly high, which is why it's really important that people make their voices heard. I hope all the folks listening um, will reach out to your members of Congress and urge them make that their top priority needs to be ending this shutdown and um, give them a call in Washington, right. D.C. or their local offices. Yeah, I can't imagine that it that it could go on. And I think, you know, what keeps coming up in my head is one of the things that I always heard results say was that, you know, some people that, you know, are are getting help just to get by, um, they're like close enough to poverty where one illness, one accident, one car wreck, one anything is going to cost them so much that it's going to push them right into poverty. And nobody, there's so many people that have no excess of any kind for anything at all that I'm sure that people are in a panic right now as far as that goes because what are you going to do? Are you going to get kicked out of your your home or, you know, it's just uh, terribly scary right now and especially with the, like I said, the prescriptions and everything like that. They were talking about people that had diabetes and they weren't giving themselves their whole, you know, medicine because they didn't have enough money to buy it and that kind of thing. So, what do you think, you know, for um, making ho housing a priority and uh, trying to get things going for this spring and, um, you know, uh, what can we do? What can we, what should we ask specifically for, for with our con members of Congress, do you think? Or yeah, what can so we, what do we this, Yeah, with this new Congress, what, you know, what we should be talking about is addressing what is the underlying affordable housing crisis in the United States. Yeah. So, for example, 71% of extremely low-income renters spend more of their income, more than half of their income on housing. And as, um, as Matthew Desmond, the author of Evicted, says, you know, some, sometimes the rent eats first. That means that families are making choices in order to pay rent and utilities. They're not 
they're, they don't have food on the table. They don't, um, yeah. they are forgoing their health care, et cetera. So we're already in a situation where from a big chunk of the country um, that we're in, uh, that housing is already such a huge issue. So, um, and in particular, you know, for instance, a worker making the federal minimum wage cannot afford a two-bedroom apartment anywhere in um, the United States. There's only 35 affordable rental homes available for every 100 extremely low-income renter households. Um, and, we're, and the programs that exist that I mentioned earlier that are at risk with the shutdown, they're already not able to, to meet the needs that are out there. Only one in four eligible families um, for housing choice vouchers, for instance, get them, which is too bad because it's, it's such a really important, unique public-private partnership. So we are mm -hmm. subsidizing housing and ho um, home ownership, but we're doing that through tax breaks that often benefit the wealthy and exacerbate an inequality, especially around racial wealth inequality. So that's, mm -hmm. that's what that's the that's what we're going to be focusing our energy on. I know um, with results this year and really pushing, you know, as they are looking at budget deals, at spending deals, really pushing for mm -hmm. a big boost in rental assistance. But let me mention one other opportunity that I think yeah. is really important to to tie to that, which is um, there are bipartisan proposals. Um, to ban housing discrimination based on the source of income. So right now, in two thirds of the two thirds of families who participate in federal housing programs can face discrimination from landlords simply because they're getting they're participating in housing assistance programs. So that you know, for instance, mm -hmm. that impacts veterans. That impacts families. Um, mm -hmm. Oftentimes, you know, there might be families with young children move, trying to move into a congressional. Uh, sorry, a school district that. It's going to uh, provide the best opportunity for their for their families. So um, mm -hmm. it would be great to see not only a large boost in housing assistance, but that to be tied with addressing this this discrimination that millions of families across the country face because they're participating in housing assistance programs. Mm -hmm. Manny, I don't know if you Sorry. want to say anything about what you what you see in terms of affordable housing and the need to address that um, in the work that you do. Yeah, you know, a funny thing within affordable housing, especially within Indian country, and we can talk about broader within, like, urban population, is there's a huge uh, need for it. Um, and the importance about it is that housing is a foundation to get folks out of a, the cycle of poverty. And within indigenous communities, uh, there's a huge drive for that. Here in Minneapolis, uh, there was... Um, they called it a homeless encampment. You know, um, majority of it was indigenous, of an indigenous population. And it took a coordinated response from tribal government, the city, the state, and the county to create, like, temporary housing for these communities. But then also now we have to look at how do we address this at a greater picture. And this is exactly why it's important when results goes to the Capitol or when any volunteer, or any constituent goes and meet with our members of Congress, that we say we have to ensure that we prioritize affordable housing for low-income and needy families because it is a foundation to get folks out of the cycle of poverty that is a direct result to generations of uh, discrimination in our policies. Um, 
So it's a coordinated effort, but we need folks on the federal government to step in and provide the services and the incentive for folks on the ground. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, it's a big project. We all need to uh, get on the phone, get on the computer, email our members of Congress and try to go and talk to them. Um, I think that um, as far as like for long-term, Meredith, um, uh, the segregation and discriminatory policies are a big thing, and I guess I'm wondering what, what you can you see that could could change in that um, for long-term. Yeah, so I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. But, you know, one of the things that's, that is great to see is that there's a lot more attention um, on housing and, and recognition that um, policymakers on the federal level need to make this a priority, including, you know, we're seeing different interesting proposals from presidential candidates, and it's, it's uh, I would say it's nice to see that um, if folks are running for, uh, running for um, the position of president of the United States, they feel like they need um, to include affordable housing as one of their, you know, it's something they have a track record of legislation that they've introduced um, to uh, address affordable housing because it's it's such an important issue that it needs to be addressed on the national level. So there's some really mm-hmm. interesting um, proposals out there. You know, as I mentioned earlier, we are already subsidizing housing and home ownership, but we're mostly doing that through the tax code in a way that is exacerbating wealth inequality and the racial wealth divide. Instead, you know, I'm, I think it would be really great to build, you know, kind of address the need short term, get a, get a bump in federal rental assistance, but also think about how our tax code could really be oriented a lot more towards low-income working families, and that could include a renter's credit, um, a refundable mm-hmm. renter's credit in the tax code. Um, for um, to help folks make ends meet in terms of the, you know the gap between incomes and um, and how much it costs to rent in this country, and then you also could mm-hmm. you know see first time home buyer tax credits. There are some proposals out there that do that that are really targeted in a way that could address um, the legacy of racial segregation and support families that have tipped in in whole communities that you know are victims of redlining or victims of wealth stripping. Um, you know, and, and then, of course, other things, you know, there's proposals outside the tax code per se. You know, we could be investing more in emergency stabilization funds. I think we could see proposals to do that in, in this Congress um, on a bipartisan level for families facing evictions. So making sure families, um, if, they, if there's an economic shock, have a, um, access to funds that could help them um, uh, kind of meet the rent without um, spiraling into a situation where they might be experiencing homelessness. Um, and then there's other mm-hmm. things, you know, interest in addressing discrimination in credit scores, inclusive zoning, um, um, et cetera. So there's lots of, I think there's a lot of opportunity to really use the next couple of years to make sure this is a front and center priority um, for uh policymakers and also to be frank for um, candidates um, so that mm-hmm. um, we're really building momentum for a systematic um, uh, solution to address the affordable housing crisis. And I think once once we do start getting into um, the time when they're campaigning, 
you know, like you said, it's best to see them face to face. The more times you can go to town hall meetings and get to the microphone and ask questions about what you're uh, most concerned about, that's also very helpful. Plus, then there's all other kinds, all other people in the room too, that are constituents that will, you know, be able to find out exactly what's happening. Because I think that now there's just so much focus on one area that it's like they how can anybody even do anything? They're just so totally focused every day on, on what's happening in the government right now. And, uh, you know, the shutdown is just unacceptable. We've got to do something about that right away. Yeah, we got to address um, it short term, but it's stay engaged long term because that's where we can really, yeah, you know, push right. for the kind of priorities and government that yeah. that we want. Well, and I know with at least, you know, like my new congresswoman and different ones that we've gone to see in around Michigan, um, the new ones especially, and some of our other ones that have been there a while, are really concerned about these issues. And, of course, we have uh, Debbie Stabenow, now the head of the um, Agriculture Committee, um, for, and she's a senator from Michigan, and is working all the time very hard to uh, try to protect SNAP and she's done a really good job so far. And I think, you know, people need to know that. I don't even know if the people in Michigan, all of them really even know that she's on that committee or that she's trying to protect SNAP and help people that, that need help. And uh, I think we all need to look into all of that before we vote again on anybody. You know, we've got to know. We can't vote for a, for a um, R or a D anymore. It's got to be, you've got to look into it and find out who is supporting what you need, uh, what your um priorities are so um, yeah and, and and i will say specifically on protecting snap i hope listeners in kansas also thank their republican senator um pat roberts the chair of the senate agriculture committee who oh, works yeah. hand in hand with senator stabenow to move that um, really important bipartisan bill that protects snap Mhm. right so um, do you want to get into a little bit on um, like tax credits, child tax credits too, and and what uh, what we need to do about that if we're talking to Congress? Well, the the thing I'll just flag is that the tax code, you know, it ha- has been unfortunately the tax code makes wealth inequality, income inequality, and the racial wealth divide worse. But the tax code can be a, also a really powerful tool to help families make ends meet. And um, Mm -hmm. it's doing so already um, in that um, millions of families are lifted above the federal poverty line, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, because of um, uh, the earned income tax credit and child tax credit. But we could be doing even more. So, and especially in a situation where a lot of the the growth in jobs um, has been in, in just, trends over the last several decades, really, not just since the recession, um, has been in jobs that aren't paying well, and often there's kind of in uh, uh, hours, there's wage stagnation, meaning, you know, for basically those of us that um, do are in the lower half of the income distribution, um, in real incomes haven't changed much in the last several decades, and the tax code could mm-hmm. be used to address that. By making front and center, um, we need to uh, we need to to take a look at the 2017 tax law, which um, uh, primarily benefited the wealthy and corporations, and instead shift those priorities um, 
to making sure we have the revenue we need to provide health care and education and Social Security and food assistance, et cetera, but also shifting so that, you know, we, we're looking at big boosts, for instance, to the earned income tax credit and child tax credit, which have really powerful anti-poverty impacts already, but could be doing even more mm-hmm. to address these larger economic trends. Um, yeah. So I hope folks will look to get involved because we just really need to yeah. make sure that Congress and candidates are keeping, you know, the struggles of families um, the struggles that many face to uh, put food on the table, to make ends meet every month, um, low-income working families um, kind of front and center um, with really a focus on also um, uh, racial equity so that we're, our policies are yeah. addressing the legacies of racism over the last several decades and beyond. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. hope folks will get well, involved. Uh, yes, I was uh, going to say, as both of you, um, Manila, and you too. Um, how do you feel like people could get involved if they're starting, just starting for the first time to be an advocate? You know, I think uh, results actually is 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 a great way to get involved. Um, it, it there's a you know go to results volunteers, um, but then also it's just a simple thing of calling, uh, taking uh, picking up your phone and making a phone call to uh, your member of Congress and just saying. Hey, I wanted to share that I think housing inequality is really important, and I hope you take a look at it. You know, these mm-hmm. small steps, which seem small to so many, are huge steps mm-hmm. when you look at how many people can take that step. And the mm-hmm. type of collective um, energy we all can build together to make uh, this country work for the for everybody. Yeah, it do, it definitely needs to be working for everyone, and I think. Uh, you know, there's some candidates that are caring about the very rich, and there's some candidates that care about all people, and that's who we need to make sure we vote for. And um, Meredith, what would you say as far as um, results or how people – I know when you just said that, um, Manilin, about calling in, I think sometimes people think, oh, I don't know if I can do that. I've got to call into this office or whatever, but you don't get to talk to the member of Congress. You talk to the person that's an intern on the phone and – like you just gave, you know, one or two sentences that you can say, uh, you know, I want to leave a message. I want to leave a message for the congressperson, and this is it. And that you're a constituent and your address, and you expect to find to get a response because you're a constituent. So, Meredith, what else? Yeah. So, um, for example, um, if folks are looking for some of the guidance on how to to get involved and make their voices heard, you know, you. We've got a lot of tips that are designed because we train folks to to raise their voices in a way that makes a big mm-hmm. difference um, on Capitol Hill. So, you know, if you go to results.org, there's um, other you can see under get involved um, or volunteer. You can kind of connect with those some of those resources, tips on how do you meet with a member of Congress face to face? How do you make that short phone call where you talk to the person who answers the phone, or the longer phone call where you talk to um, you really are building a relationship with the aide, the really key aide who can ultimately be your lobbyist on the inside. But mm-hmm. um, in mm-hmm. addition, there's resources for folks looking for ways to make sure that your local media is, still, is covering these issues and, and using that mm-hmm. as a tool um, to amplify the kinds of stories and voices that, um, yeah. uh, for instance, Manny was sharing about earlier. So, yeah, uh, results.org has a lot of those kinds of resources. Um, 
I just think on whatever issues people care about, I really urge you, this is a really important time to get involved. Many folks I know got involved a lot in the context of the election, and you might be getting, you know, those kind of quick actions to take where you sign a petition, but it's really the deeper advocacy that makes a big difference. And and I hope yeah. folks the new year will will look for ways to get involved in a way that really shapes their priorities of of policymakers in the way that we care about. Mhm. Yeah. Well, that sounds like some really good information and good ways to. To start, if anybody ever has any questions and they want to email me at malbertson05 at aol.com or uh, Facebook me, I'd be glad to answer questions also. And um, do either one of you have anything you'd like to leave us with to end with? I would just say I'm so inspired by the work of folks, kind of everyday folks across the country who are raising their voices mm-hmm. to make a difference. People like you, Mary, and people, Manny, and so many others across the country. So at to- at, it feels hard in some ways to be in- to remain inspired and optimistic in, in these times, but it's when I think of, of folks like you too, that's when I feel like there are reasons to be, in- to be mm-hmm. optimistic about the future. So thank you for what you do. Yeah, thank you for everything you do. You're always helping us to know lots of information that we need to know. And, um, you know, to me, you know, some people, you might say people are discouraged or whatever, but when you see something where you actually get in touch with someone in Congress and they actually sign a letter or they, you know, uh, co-sign some legislation or whatever, it's just amazing that you feel like, I am empowered. This is really unbelievable that I can, I never knew that I could ever even hardly talk to a member of Congress. Um, How about you, Manny? What do you think? Yep. You know, I think just echoing what Meredith said there is that um, there's been a lot of great energy and um, that energy doesn't dissipate. We keep building on it and it's everyday folks, everyday families that really do get to drive this narrative home that, it's time for Congress to act. It's time for us all to step up together um, to get things working. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So thank you guys both for being on. I think you gave us a lot of great information. And if people want to go to results.org slash volunteers or anywhere else on the page to find out information, that would be great. And um We will look forward to probably seeing you guys when we come to our international conference this summer, right? Um, Absolutely. Look forward to seeing you both uh, and all the preparation we do for folks who are looking for kind of an advocacy boot camp. You should definitely go to check out what's at resultsconference.org and always love seeing um, you all on Capitol Hill, too. Mm Mm-hmm. And we thank you because when we do end up going to see a congressperson, you know, you'll do a prep for that meeting and you'll help us try to decide what we should talk about or what would be the the most beneficial for that particular congressperson. And so we thank you for all that you do and every other staff member at Results who are fabulous. So you guys have a great day and um, we'll be talking soon, I'm sure. All right. Take care, awesome. Mary. Have a great thank weekend. You so much. Take care. Thank you, guys. Have a good one. Bye-bye.